Yes, Honest Actors is back with brand new episodes every Friday. To help me continue releasing new episodes without a sponsor, or to say thanks for your favourite old ones, click the support link in the episode description. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. It's a one-off, feeling generous, good deed for the day sort of thing. Think of it as bumping into me and buying me a drink. To find out more, click the support link. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Uh, yeah, mine's a large red. I hate those guys. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Jonathan Harden, and you're listening to the Honest Actors Podcast Lockdown Special Editions. I'm just about to connect with Isaiah Johnson on the line via Zoom. If you want to listen to the original interview with Isaiah, he did that back in series, I think, two. All these lockdown guests are former guests on the podcast, as you know it. So uh, you can go back and get those whenever you fancy. Anyway, click admit. Let's see. Hello, sir. Hey. How's it going, dude? You all right? Good, man. Hold on a sec. How are you doing? Yeah, but I can't complain. I mean, you know, it is what it is. I guess I felt like we were kind of globally in this together to some degree until last week. And then it felt like you guys had gone somewhere else on your own. And um, I've been thinking loads about you and kind of other friends in the States who I haven't seen in a long time. and just wondering how you guys are doing. It's good, man. I'm sitting here with the kids at a friend's house out in uh, Studio City. Um, but you know, we are in process, honestly, we are very much in, uh, process. I think it's, um, the situation over here is still emotionally intense. And I think it's compounded by the Corona isolation. So I think it's a, it's a little bit of the fact that people have kind of been isolated and been in their homes and they're really missing community. And that's looking in a lot of different ways. I think a lot of the frustration and anger is compounded by, um, a sense of hopelessness about the future. Yeah. I think it was like the worst possible time to have a situation, to have many situations like this. Because it's enough that people are emotionally just dealing with unemployment and trying to figure out what the future looks like and not being given any information by the government as to how long this is going to last, what what are the steps that they're taking, like how soon a fucking... It's like every piece of information is coming up on your news phone feed. And that's not the way it's to be. <laughs> you can't trust that shit. You can't trust it. You don't know, yeah, dude, I know the feeling. what the source is. And then I don't have the time or the patience to fucking triple fact check everything. It's like, come on. So, it is difficult, I though. Think, I know. Um, yeah. No, you mm-hmm. said about whenever you were in London, one of the things you were saying the other day was that um, 
you could at least get a handle on a story. If you read a couple of papers, you could get a kind of rounded sense of what was actually oh, happening. And that, that, somehow, that somehow isn't as possible right now for you guys? I, I don't think it ever was. I think our media has always been primarily used to control the masses, to control what people understand is the truth. And I think what I was finding in London, not to say that that doesn't exist, but what I was finding, and obviously I'm not a citizen of the UK, so I'll just say for that particular summer, what I discovered was, I was like, wow, it seems like there is an assumption that there should be one more than one point of view about a story. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I feel like here in America, there's the assumption that, no, there's one point of view and you should buy it. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, listen, just because you did a, a disclaimer there, I should say I thought about getting in touch with you a bit earlier and then thought, I'm not the, I'm not the guy to have this chat because it just feels like like these chats about things that are so big. And I'm talking, I'm talking in this case about what's happened since the murder of George Floyd. And, sure. and I thought, do you know, I should, I should call Isaiah and check in and I should maybe ask him if he wants to have a chat about this. And then thought, yeah. I am not the dude to have this chat. And then today something kicked in and I just thought, do you know what, fuck it. We all have to have these chats. And yes. you've done a great yeah. thing on Instagram where you've just been sitting going, I don't care how stupid the question is. I don't mind. Yeah. I'm not going to judge. Just ask the yes. fucking question. Let's have the conversation. Yes. Yes. It absolutely, and you know what? For all the listeners out there, you know, I don't, are you doing this live? Or are you gonna like repost it? I'm recording it, but I'm not gonna edit it. So Great. I understand. Okay. Well, listen. Here's the deal, right? This applies to all of us. It applies to all of us because what we're dealing with here, we're dealing with people waking up to the fact that post-colonial regime has its consequences. It had its consequences in Ireland. It had its consequences, it has its consequences in Africa. It, it has its consequences in, um, you know, China. it's had its consequences everywhere. So what we have to start wrapping our head around, we have to start, because my point of view is this, there's no point in having a black Lives Matter conversation if you're not including the Native Americans who are still living on reservations and abiding by laws that were created in treaties that were set in the 1800s. And they are always left out of the conversation, right? There's mm-hmm. no point in having a conversation about, about Black Lives Matter until we are all on the same page as to what American history is. I did a post um, um, on Instagram recently and I was just like, you know, the Constitution only works if there's mutual respect for human life. If there's no mutual, if there's no, if there's not a cultural understanding of mutual respect for human life, then the Constitution is null and void because it's all bullshit. If there's no, if, if, if we're, if we aren't in agreement that no human life just human life, whether I like it, the person or not, whether I disagree with them or not, whether I understand their culture or not. But at the end of the day, human life is important to preserve. If we're not on the same page about that, then the Constitution is ineffective. And I think what 
is happening now is that people are realizing that, oh, wow, the Constitution, the perspective of the Constitution at the time when it was written didn't include all human life. No. It didn't even include so women. Now, it didn't include women. So now we're like, oh, now I'm seeing that. So now what's happening is that white people are like, oh, white Americans specifically, I'm saying they're like, oh, wow, now I see what's happening. The people who feel themselves to be American are the ones who know who the Constitution applied to. Yeah. Which is, generally speaking, the American white male and the uh, delightfully ignorant, privileged white American female. And I said delightfully ignorant because I'm specifically saying, I'm specifically speaking to the American white female who has chosen to put the blinders on in order to protect her own safety, in order to protect her own comfort. She is choosing to put the blinders on Regarding yeah. the respect for human life. Yeah, so that, that, it, that's not everybody. There's a few people who are like, you know what? I'm just gonna. Nope, I don't care. Like, fuck them. <laughs> um, you you came up with something. Came up with something the other day that I thought was quite interesting about feeling pride and feeling national pride, a sense of you know pride to be an American or of identification at least with that with that kind of narrative. Um, are you are you slaying animals or what's what's the uh, is that like a somebody doing a, a sound check or oh, something? Dude. Oh man, it's a bugging. I'm at my friend's house and his gardener is here, <laughs> <laughs> blowing everything to be oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is he is blowing the lawnmower blues anyway. Just when you said you were in Studio City, I thought maybe somebody was recording some kind of weird fucking experimental album next door. Oh, no, I would. playing the leaf blower. Yeah, that'd be delightful. Um, So, yeah, you said something about identifying with that kind of, you felt a couple of moments in your life, you'd felt a sense of national identity or pride in national identity. Sure. And and that that's been complicated, I guess, of late. But I just wondered how, how... how you reconcile those things? Is it possible to be proud of an America that doesn't yet exist? If that America is inclusive in every way, if it is respectful of human life, or at the moment, is it just hard to get past that at the moment it seems to be broken? Well, I think that, um, uh, I think that, first of all, we're a very young country. We're a very young country. And as far as uh, social upheaval goes, we actually haven't had a lot of it. Like, we've never had a coup. (laughs) We've never had a change in government due to revolution. You know, we we actually haven't experienced a lot of terrorism within our grounds, although, you know, a lot of my, you know, white leftist brothers would consider the acts of anyone non-American white male to be terrorism, which truth be told, when you look across American history, the only acts of 
terrorism as it is defined by the United States government have all been um, have except for except for terrorism that has come from outside the country, but terrorism as it exists within the country, they've all been done by white males. Donald Trump did say yesterday, I think, uh, something about the, he named the protesters as being uh, domestic terrorists. And you're that's like, what I'm saying. I mean, come that's on. The, like, that's a stretch, now, right? That's a, that's a fucking stretch, dude. It's a stretch, except for the fact that it is <laughs> verbatim the exact language that white supremacists use. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised by that. That doesn't, you know, doesn't greatly surprise me anymore. That, and I'm not saying that Trump is a, 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 a white supremacist. I'm just saying that if you look at the, the language that is used on most leftist websites and pamphlets and propaganda, like they, they use that term. And I think it's a huge Ugh. abuse of uh, terminology. Um, but, you know, this is, this is where we are now. Here's the thing. There's something that is a little bit more um, commonplace than racism. I think the foundation of racism actually doesn't have anything to do with the color of the skin, but it has to do with class. Right. We suffer from suffer from an acute sense of classism in America, and I think uh, race is like the the whole like race thing. That's just a simplified way of approaching a situation that is really financially driven. Now that goes back to like, when you look at slavery, even was it slavery, the institution of slavery was a financial institution. When you think about what would be so, so important that white people would go to war with each other over it, which hasn't happened since the civil war. Hmm. Civil War happened here in America, and it is thought to believe that the Civil War was about the abolishment of slavery for moral purposes. That was not the reason for the fight. The reason for the fight was the fact that he had white slave owners who owned slaves, and that was their property and their primary source of income. They supplied a very important textile to the rest of the country and they had the free workforce and they were wealthy and secure then you had people from the north making plans for america's future via the industrial revolution and they're saying hey we're thinking about expanding america we're thinking about moving west and we want you to get on board but we need you to free the slaves so that we'll have a workforce we need a workforce to make that happen yeah. We need a workforce to make that happen. And the Southern whites are like, you can't tell me what to do with my money. This is my money. And this feels a whole lot like the American Revolution with Britain telling us what to do with our money. And you've lost your way and you're in yep. with the monarchy and we're not having it. We're going to protect our Southern ways and we're going to protect our Southern dollar. That's why they went to war. That's why they went to war. It had nothing to do with the morality of slavery. Now that said, you can read it in the 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 in journal entries and official documentation. Even our forefathers knew, meaning our forefathers via the American Revolution, even our forefathers knew that at some point we're going to have to deal with the moral dilemma that is American slavery. They so, knew that they were going to have to deal with it at some point because they knew that 
they knew the difference between the financial interest and we're all human beings and you have enslaved another human being and we're going to have to deal with that at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much I don't know about this and that's the thing as well. Like, you know, if you think American history is taught badly in the States, it's probably taught even worse, if at all here, you know, like, um, so all this stuff, I feel, I feel embarrassingly ill-read about all of it. No, it's okay. No, it's okay because here's um, the thing. There's loopholes in all of our education on, and that's intentional. Like the fact that we, as a country, we all went to grade school. We all went to high school. Upon graduating from high school, very few people in the country were giving in, any information about what was going on in Africa before the transatlantic slave trade. Very few of us have been giving any information about what was life like before the pilgrims came. Who were the dominant Native American tribes here? Like, what was life looking like? So we've all been given a very narrow view of a history that most of us aren't included in, in a way that feels empowering. Yeah. So when I was in London and I was talking to, I was working at, uh, I was working at a theater. I want to just like, be general just so like I'm not tracked I'm not allowing anybody to get like name dropped but I was working at a theater and I was talking to a theater employee and remember those he was, yeah yeah exactly they don't, they don't exist anymore god god and I bet they're all mad that they apply for like non-profit status they like shit we should have been making money off this shit <laughs> which they were but you know that's another conversation um so I was talking with him and he's like, look, man, let me, he pulled me aside. He was like, look, man, I've seen you around. I respect you. I like the way that you treat everybody the same. And, you know, I just, I really feel safe with you or whatever. And then he said, you know, why is it that a lot of the black actors who are working here, the black American actors who are working here, why is it that none of them have African last names? And this is an older, this is an older British gentleman. You know, that is. Um, he said, why, why is it that they don't have African last names like here in London? Like most blacks here in London have African surnames. But I don't see that in American in, in black Americans that have come here to work. And I said, well, and, there you uh, have it. And, and, and the thing about is the interviews I've done over the past five years, the thing that actors always pat themselves on the back for is like, we're so... We're generalists. We know a little bit about everything and we kind of feel like we're, you know, when we're, when we're being egocentric, we feel like we're, you know, we get an opportunity to read up on things that we wouldn't otherwise read up on, that we feel like we're well-informed and well-educated and that we keep abreast of developments because that's our work. And yet, mm-hmm. and yet. Yeah. Well, hey, man, you know, it's like, I think, for me, it's important to, and this is definitely stemmed from, you know, our, our perspective of the world as actors. It's important for me to constantly challenge myself as to how truthful I am being with myself. And if I'm being honest with myself, I wasn't offended by his lack of information because I have so much of a lack of information. Yeah, and you were just surprised, I guess. I, I mean, I was surprised at the question, but it, but it wasn't. I wasn't surprised that he did not know. 
I was just I was actually surprised that he felt comfortable uh, asking me, and I was like, "That's awesome, man!" Like I was surprised by yeah. his his comfort in asking me, and I was mostly surprised by his actually wanting to know. He genuine he genuinely <laughs> wanted to know. He was like, like "What the what fuck is, is going that? on with this shit?" Yes, yes, man. So I was not offended in the least. Was he expecting something to say like, oh, it's because we're actors and it sounds more like, you know, actorly? Like, what was his, wonder what, wonder what he thought the answer was? I get the sense that he's, he, I wasn't the first person that he asked and he hadn't found an answer that He hadn't got the answer he liked. Yeah, he hadn't got the he answer he liked. He hadn't got the answer that made sense. I mean, really, the interesting thing about all of this is that quite often, well, first of all, I have to kind of hold my hands up and say that I actually was on a kind of, uh, a news uh, diet for about two yep. weeks leading up to this. So I had, and I chatted in one of the last episodes with Tom Goodman Hill about just the fact that it, I made a decision that the news was not helping me. It was not helping me to know everything about, and this was specifically about coronavirus. And yeah. and so I kind of gone on the news diet and was pulled out of that. It was kind of like, yeah. was was it was impossible not to be pulled back by recent events in, in America. And and I guess the thing that's been interesting here is that a lot of my sense of British friends and people who I follow online, a lot of them started out this week thinking like it was an American problem, like racism didn't exist in Britain, or rather that in certainly in, in white Europe. So, you know, that, and I'm classing really all of Europe kind of, but you know, like that, that France didn't have a racism problem, that Spain didn't have a racism problem, that Western Europe, good old civilized Western Europe didn't have a racism problem. What's been interesting to watch, of course, is that those people have now, I think, done a, done a 180 and started to understand that, oh shit, it's just exactly the same. We don't get educated about the colonial, uh, the impact of, of the, the British Empire on the, co- on the colonies at the time what happened in India, what happened in Ireland, what happened closer to home in Scotland and Wales, what happened in Africa, like all over the world. And I just, I just wonder how it felt for you being in Britain as an actor, as a black actor, did it feel any different? Or as a black person walking the streets of London, did you get a sense of, of the experience, and okay, you're a tourist, but of the experience of, a person going in and out of work, living your life, being any different in London than in New York, for example. I I I can't say that I was, even though I was there for quite like a three, while. Three, four I, months, four months, maybe. Well, ultimately, I mean, we went away. So actually, it was more so like six months because oh, we right, okay. rehearsed there. We did the production there. We did. We bounced out to another country, but then we came back there. And and so we didn't actually leave. We got we were in. I was in April. I mean, I was in London pretty much from April until October. Fuck. So I think uh, I think my experience there in that short amount of time, I can't say that I necessarily saw any parallels. Um, I remember you thought groceries were incredibly fucking cheap. That is I thought groceries were cheap, but I was also vegetables. confused by the number. <laughs> I was just confused by the number of what I was seeing. I was like, wait, a pound? Okay, it says one pound fifty. Like, that's that's a lesser number than it a, says a buck in America. 50. It's a buck fifty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think I just didn't understand that. 
currency exchange. But um, hey, uh, Soli, here, have uh, where's Billy? Oh, okay. Did you finish your beans and rice? You did. Uh, yeah. You're welcome. Um, so while I was there, no, congratulations, man. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um. But yeah, I think while I was there, I think I was more so just kind of trying to understand, you know, the British culture. I'd never been there before. You arrived in a, you know I mean? in a linen so I just, suit. I was just trying to absorb. Yeah, exactly. With a with a with a cane, and a I was and, a, and a, a wide brimmed hat and a waistcoat. You were yeah, you were full on. You were full on. I think the line you said when you arrived was, "I thought that's how they dressed in Europe." <laughs> I was trying to put on my fanciest uh, beds. So yeah, so uh, so London didn't feel you. You weren't tuned into that, I guess. You were kind of in holiday mode, and I wasn't tuned into that. But it wasn't just holiday mode. I was literally just trying to listen carefully to what was going on around me. I'm not. Here's the thing: there are many Americans who will go to another country and just bring all of their conceit and bravado as if they understand everything that's going on or as if they expect everything to operate to their accommodations. I'm not that kind of traveler and I see it in some Americans when they travel and it really does um, disgust me. Now, I grew up bouncing around a lot. So I kind of, I spent the first four years of my life in Korea. So I had, you know, I wasn't like... It's not like I hadn't been anywhere. So I think my way into a culture is just to observe and just to listen. What I observed in London was that there just weren't enough assholes, it, it, loud assholes. Like I was like, where are the assholes? Like, case in point. <laughs> a lot of quiet assholes in London. A lot of really fucking just quiet really, assholes. Yeah, just really quiet assholes. I didn't like it. I was like, the people feel boring to me. Like, where are the, where's the loud people? Where are the homeless people at? Like, where's the grit? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's. I, I felt a lot more uncomfortable not knowing what everybody was thinking. I'd rather just know if you don't like me. So I was like running for the train, trying to get to Waterloo. I was running for the train, running for the train, and literally, it was one of those moments when I had just barely made it on the train before the doors. I like dived into the train. Yeah, yeah, I like dived in. I did a fucking aikido roll, like and nice. Then I like I got up and I was like, yes. And I was like feeling so good about myself. No one even looked up. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> no one would look up as well, though, if you f- fell flat in your face and like started to bleed profusely. Like no one would. Like... No. Yeah. <laughs> but my shit was impressive. Like, I was impressed. Yeah. I mean, that, no, that doesn't, that shit doesn't fly. Like, wow. You don't get a round of applause, you know, just for walking on stage in London, man. Just remember, that's a that's a British thing. You gotta fucking work for it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, you gotta work for it. I was like, I'm sweating. I like, I'm, I'm probably bleeding on my elbows because my role was so good. And not only that, I'm not gonna be late for rehearsal. Which is all important, you know. Um, yeah, because you're a professional. Uh, yeah, but you know what? I did learn. Going back to the point about what the the guy's question, I did learn this. After the fact, I did a little bit of re-research and I actually found out that, so, uh, you know, the Brits were the first to uh, technically abolish slavery, like the slave trade itself. 
Yeah, but they've also ever since just totally disavowed any involvement in it. So if you ask the average kind of British citizen if Britain was involved in the slave trade, they'll say, no, wasn't that something that America did? Like that the PR, the PR spin has been so successful in Britain that I think British, the average British person doesn't realise the role that Britain had in, sl- in the slave trade. Would they, would they, would they say the same thing? Like if I asked about India? People don't know the extent of the horrors that were carried out in India in the name of the empire. Like it's just not spoken about. It's the classic. It's a, it's a fucking cliche, but history's written by the victors. And especially if it's written to be read by the victors' children. Like I had someone on Twitter yesterday say to me that they, they knew what had happened. They had learned all about the Irish question in history. And I had to say, Ireland isn't a question. And if it was a question, it's not one that Britain would ever be answering or should be answering. But that this language is still, even for people who consider themselves liberal and educated, that the language of empire and of, yeah. of the colonizer still is being used to try and express liberal thoughts. It's bizarre. Yes, it's um, it's a yes, absolutely. It's it's there's it, a couple a couple um, it's a, there's a couple similarities. I I I related a lot to, and I don't mean this to be offensive, but like so, like in my spiritual journey, like I grew up Christian, right? Mm-hmm. In my spiritual journey, as I started to kind of expand spiritually, I started to become very uncomfortable. Once I realized that my understanding of Christianity was white. Yeah. <laughs> then I started to question everything. And then I was like, wait a minute, why is that? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, and it is It is a colonial spirituality as well. Like, it's, a, it's something that the Irish still go around the world and try to force upon people that, you know, never ask for it. <laughs> so I, I've always been okay, deeply troubled so by that. Absolutely, deeply troubled. And so I think that, you know... I, I, I think like a couple of things, like when we start talking about white privilege, like this is what we're talking about in America. We're talking about the fact that white privilege allows us to not even question what was going on before the American slave trade. What did these people believe? What was their religion? What was their, obviously it feels very convenient to teach your slaves to turn the other cheek. It feels very convenient yeah. To teach your slaves to uh, give unto Caesars what is Caesars. It feels very convenient Fuck yeah. to like teach, to teach your slaves, you know, uh, the the um, positive benefits of servitude, of yeah. being a servant. It, very, it feels very convenient to convince your slaves that the last shall be first and the first shall be last sometime in the near unforeseen future. <laughs> so it's very convenient to create an idea that there will be another savior to come and take you out of bondage when your people who are putting you in bondage are done with you. Like it's just there's so many ideals in the Christian um language that it feels very convenient. Yes sir? Huh? Sure. Um and so, you know, I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of holes that leave people feeling ignorant. Now, if I'm feeling ignorant already, 
and then I'm being made to look like a fool, that's going to make me pretty upset at some point. And that's what's going on here. I'll tell you later. <laughs> so, like, you know? we've, we've scratched, scratched the surface of, like, of how badly history is taught and why we need to look at that. I'm wondering, like, looking forward, I'm just at this point where I'm, like, I'm starting to go, it's not, it's not enough anymore, not that it ever was. It's not enough to simply say, I'm not a racist. It's not enough anymore to, to, know that, to know that in your own heart and in your own home, you're not part of that narrative. It, it feels like the time has come to try to be evangelical about that in a way that goes beyond just Twitter and whatever else. I'm just wondering, like, have you any thoughts on what, what people can, like, not just white people, people generally can do or you would like to see people do to make things better for fuck our kids? And... Yes. And make a change happen sooner rather than later because it has to stop. That's right. There's a few ideas. One, it's always nice to start in your own home, to actually start being so courageous as to speak against anyone in your family or your immediate friend circle who is continuing an idea of superiority against others, period. That's fucking great. That's first and foremost. Because you can't you can't join the fight for revolution if you're too scared to address the people talking to you in your face. There's a lot of conversations that have happened behind closed doors. Yeah. That just like like for example, I, when I was in uh, when I was in Ireland, I can't remember if we went to a pub in. I think we were at a pub in Belfast, a very like off the beaten path little pub. And we were in there, and as soon as I came in, I'm at the bar ordering a drink, and uh, some very like a much older gentleman came and like literally in all love pulled his arms around. He's like, "Hey, nigger!" <laughs> wow, like save for the fact that he was like delightfully drunk. I was not. I was like, "Well, what am I gonna do? What, what am I gonna what, do? What did you do?" First of all, I wasn't threatened. I always trust, I have a, a very keen sense of intuition and I can tell when somebody's like, ill will, you know what I mean? He didn't mean shit by it. <laughs> now, ignorance, to, absolute ignorance. So ignorance, because he was so like lovely about it. And I was like, hey, dude. And literally after, after speaking with him for a little bit of time, I realized like, the bartender had decided to stop serving him alcohol and he just was looking for somebody to buy him another drink. And do you think, do you think like, do you think we're, hold on, do you think we're excusing that too easily? Do you think maybe because he's drunk and Vino Veritas, all that, 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 the deep language within him has come out. Like, it is interesting to question that when you say like, you know, to, to, because I, I, I wonder what that betrays. Like, if he was sober, would he do that? And if he wouldn't, then that betrays something that, you know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. I, I, I if it's I was tough president, one. I would totally, listen, I've said many times, if I was president, which I'd never want to be, but if I was president, I would make the law 
that no more than five drunk men can walk together at a time. Yes. Anytime you have five drunk men together doing anything, it's never good. It's never good. Yeah, it's true. It's just, it's just what I've seen in almost 40 years on this earth. It, nothing positive happens from more than five drunk men being together. Nothing. I would like, say four. I would say four is optimal. I mean, honestly, I used to say three, but I upped the number out of benevolence. Right, like, yeah. Of, well, like, I'd, be happy to, third wheel. I'd be happy to go for four, but five just seems like fucking ridiculous, man. <laughs> that seems like, like no, cra- that's crazy talk. Not, if you want to stay in your house, fine, but outside of your house, no. So, <laughs> so this is interesting to me, this idea that you have to start at home, because I have to say, like, I have, I have, you know, Stood up for like it sounds like I'm fucking right on right oning myself high fiving self high five. I have stood up for people on public transport before before and this the, but to kind of con- to contradict that I have let my family I've let uncles and aunts say th- uh, write things on Facebook and not not ever fucking went after them and said hold on you can't say that. So that's really interesting and it's a really good thought and it's something I will definitely do because I hadn't even thought about the problems with that. I was just like, oh fuck it! It's it's well, you know, just let them let them do it. It's such and such. You know, yeah. I'll pretend I didn't see it, you know. And actually, you're right. You're right. There's a way to do it that is that that can because it's you know it's not about not having love. Like those are that's just family. You don't want to like out them, but there's a way to do it respectfully by informing them that you actually have a different of opinion. Like I have a different opinion. You know, if you're under my roof, I would ask that you please keep those kind of comments to yourself. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a way to do it that is still respectful. But I think um, what at the very least, it'll open up a possible conversation. Yeah. Probably different. When I was in Dublin, I had a very different circumstance. Very old white guy on a bike. We're both coming down the sidewalk. And he fucking, like, tried to kick me off the side. He, too, was drunk. But he tried to kick me off the sidewalk and said, move, nigger. <laughs> so that was, that felt very different, you know, and that was in Dublin. So I was like, okay. So I, at that point, like I said, I'm in observing. I want to get the lay of the land. I want to know what people are thinking. I'm like, okay. So there's clearly a generation of folks in Ireland who have a perspective. Now I say that knowing also this. While I was there, and I learned this from you, and I learned this from, you know, being around, part of what you were telling me about what the cultural dynamics that was happening at that time, that was huge, which was you have a lot of immigrants coming into the country, and, you know, they're like maybe taking some jobs, not like taking jobs, but they're getting jobs that people who live there aren't getting, and there's a lot of dissension. Yeah, well, no, I think think the thing at the time in Ireland was I think what happened in Ireland was that the Irish were just not used to immigration. Ireland were a yeah. na- was a nation of immigrants. And all of a sudden, from being a country that was 100% white, yeah. pretty much, they became a country that wasn't. And there had been no no generations of getting used to that, no going to school. So everybody who was an adult had went to yeah. school with 100% white people, most of them who'd been born yeah. within a mile of where they were born. And all of a sudden you had people yeah. from other countries. And I think that was what caused the problem. Now, I, 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 I think it'd be fair to say that I wasn't one of the people complaining about that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, here's the thing. What I'm challenging people to pay attention to are the foundations of racism because I don't, it's not a, it's, so in other words, even the concept of white and black, for a country that's one of the wealthiest in the world with the wealthiest military, with the strongest military power and a somewhat decent education opportunities afforded people, it seems very interesting that we divided people's understanding of race to black, white, red, brown, and yellow. It seems very unintelligent. So I'm actually speaking to the very etymology of white and black. Where did that start? If I was black, if I was actually black, I'd be a beetle. We have reappropriated a lot of terminology in order for it to not be so negative every time we heard it. So black people over time have put pride in being black. Whereas when the transatlantic slave trade started, not even, yeah, when the slave trade started, we were negro. That was a Portuguese term for the Africans that they enslaved first. Right? Mm -hmm. Anywhere around the world, people are identified by their nationality, except in America. You know what I mean? Yeah. Except in America. And... It's very interesting that that type of programming has continued, and the only person that it would benefit is the person who is wealthily untouchable, is the person who needs the longest workforce. So you create two things. You create a reason to keep people separated, Mm -hmm. and then you dangle the carrot of the American dream in front of their eyes. Mm -hmm. You have a bunch of clams fighting each other to get to that carriage. That is the structure of America. That's what keeps America going. There's a very small group of people who have enough wealth as to not be, like they are untouchable. There's a great documentary called The Gilded Age. In that documentary, they talked about how uh, Carnegie, Andrew Carnegie, having supplied the entire country with steel, even in a depression, his employees had taken up arms to demand a higher wage, and he not only hired a militia to take them out, he called the president and requested a National Guard be brought to Pittsburgh to his steel mill to fight against his employees who were trying to just ask for a better wage. Right. Domestic terrorism, that sounds like. Before before I go, it sounds like you're about to be consumed by squealing children. Always. Always. I just want to find out how have you been coping with lockdown? What's the story there? Um, how does it feel just thinking about work and looking forward? Oh, uh, bruh. You know, um, I have no idea. You know, I think it's interesting because we're kind of back to ground zero, which is what I always say, you know, what we do, I think I said this on the, when we did a podcast years ago, I was like, you know, what we do is an act of service. The fact that any of us are making a living off of this shit is totally by mistake. It is an act (laughs) of service and we're right back where we started. It's an act of service because you're living in a country that it's specifically American culture. Like, we sell art like that's our biggest market is like marketing and entertainment like that's what we give the world right 
but yet and still we don't actually see it as a complete necessity to society. We don't respect the artist and his and her contribution to the necessity for our lives, the way that we need community, the way that we need water, the way that we need food, the way that we, you know, we don't see that as a necessary part. We do and we don't. It's like we know that people need entertainment, but only as long as somebody's able to make money off of it. And then that money is used for other things that are more important. Not because, you know, we have a Picasso that will be forever revered as a part of the American fabric. And he did so much for us by the way that he expressed himself through his art. We don't have that here. We don't have that. Not really. And we're right back where we started. So, you know, I, I teach, I, I try to do whatever I can for my own balance and edification, but it's a little bit bewildering to be like, okay, now actually, what am I really going to do? Let me start this garden and put this seed in the ground so I can have some fucking vegetables next week. But there is work happening. Like, I know that I just heard in New Zealand, they're working on like Avatar 2. They're going to start shooting in two weeks. So like, it's stuff is happening. Yeah. But I don't know how. Yeah. And it hasn't been dispersed yet. So I'm doing like voiceover auditions. That's all that's coming in. Yeah, Bruno's got a, a self-tape tomorrow, which is the first in a while. Um, but, and they say they're filming this thing in November, but like, realistically, I don't, I don't know how that's going to happen. Like the last self-tape I did, the last tape I did for an audition came in just about two weeks into lockdown and I said to my agent, there's no point in me doing this. And about three or four days later, he emailed and said, are you doing that tape? And I was like, Dude, I'm going to waste a half a day of my life and I've got a baby in the house and I know this isn't going to film in June. So it's fucking, this is a waste of my time. It's a waste of your time. He says, oh, just just do it anyway. And the end, about a week later, I did it. Of course it's not fucking happening in June. It's not going to happen at all. And that's, I guess, you know, my question is more like, how, how are you finding the not knowing? I mean, we're all used to not knowing where the next job is, but like this is not yeah. knowing what the next job opportunity is. Right. It's all shut down. I mean, I had like my go-to jobs that I would do if I knew I was going to be in a drought, but even those opportunities aren't there because, you know, the restaurants are closed. I wasn't necessarily teaching at a university that I try to be, you know, before this started. So I don't have like a teaching job where I can teach from home. I've been coaching a little bit. But right now, you know, my wife and I are having the conversations like, what are we going to do with our last bit of savings that we are about to use up? Like, we need to we need to, like, get out of this rent situation, find some places to go that's really, really cheap until this shit blows over. Because, you know, right now we have to make smart moves. And I had a ton of savings. Are you getting any money from the government? Um, not yet. I applied for the unemployment. I don't, I haven't heard anything yet. Maybe, I don't know if it's still in process. Everybody was doing it at once. So here there was a huge backlog. Yeah, of course. But there's no scheme. Like over here, there's a, we've had a self-employed help scheme. So we were given 80% of our average kind of what we returned on our tax return. The government gave us 80% 
equivalent for three months. And they're now going to give yeah. us, I think, 70% for another three months, which is amazing, yeah. right? But obviously we're going to yeah. have to pay for it at some point. Like, you know, the country's going to have to pay for all this. But is there something like yeah. that over there that you guys are getting? Uh, there is, there's a couple of, there's like the small business stimulus loan that you can get. There's the, um, there's like the regular unemployment check that you can get. I think that lasts for like what, 24 weeks or something like that. So there is some money out there, you know, we'll apply for it and see Fuck what man. comes back. But, you know, I think that's, you know, that's kind of what's fueling where we are everybody's sense of just not knowing and not being cared for and on top of that being sat on it's just a bad combination yeah absolutely it's a perfect storm you know it just and the thought that people are going to die from COVID-19 because they went out to express their disgust at the murder of an unarmed black man and that's one of the things that I find darkest and the most depressing about this is that these people are out making that protest are ultimately putting themselves and their loved ones at risk for something they deeply, deeply believe in. And Absolutely. But even that starts to come into question because we're not getting any information as to like, like I said, all the information that we're getting is from our news feed. Nobody's actually giving us a realistic view on oh, yeah. the condition of the virus at this point. We and don't know what the transmission get. rate is. We don't know over here. We don't really know. Is that the death rate or is that the massage death rate? Like what's, what, how many people have actually died? If you include everybody, like it's just, and there's a lag. And, and it's up to states' rights. Oh. That's what's even more confusing is that it, each state is able to just kind of decide what they're going to do. That doesn't feel very controlled to me. At but it all. exposes the, it exposes one of the many flaws in a federal system as well as whenever you have a truly national, truly global problem, that the more yes. parochial you are, in a way, the more difficult it is. Yes, man. Listen, dude. Um, thanks for the ramble chat. I am. A, I'm not a, I expose myself in these chats as a terrible interviewer because I am. Um, I'm just. I I just wanted to listen t- tonight as much as anything, and and kind of hear somebody who has more knowledge about this than I do. And I appreciate you sharing that and sharing it so honestly. So thank you. Well, man, until leadership kind of represents what the real history is and makes us all aware like what's really going on. The sad part is that it makes it makes it all sound like conjecture. It makes me sound like a conspiracy theorist. So until until we're all on the same page about what the information is, you know, it's all a toss up, man. But I tell you what, I think that um and I'll end with this, you know, like I think that I still am a firm believer in we have a we all have a purpose on this earth that is so much more important than the schemas that have been created to divide us and to keep us working. There's something so much greater that this earth has to offer us than these, than this. And if we don't take time to take full responsibility for who we are as human beings and what we can do for this planet, 
and what we can do for each other to make all of our lives easier until we get there and stop waiting on somebody to lead us in that direction, but listen to our own hearts. We're going to, we're going to be back here again. You know? We're going to be back here again. Because we've been here before. Yeah, I hope I hope not. I hope not, man. Um, Those little voices in the background are a real, like, constant reminder of what of what's at stake. Yes. But there's something yeah. lovely about kids' voices voices captured in time and this is what this is this is like a moment that they'll be yeah. told about and the question yeah. is how will the story end and I'm That's not right. saying it's I'm not saying it's in our power but like start at home yeah Don't, you know it's a good it's a good it's a good first first step mm-hmm. without a doubt man that's the reason that's the reason for all of this is the future you know are we trying to protect our own just our own future are we trying to provide a future where we all can like sustain this beautiful opportunity of life you know no daddy no 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 yeah solely hey bud if you go out to the deep end where your feet can't touch you're gonna be so sorry okay okay you know better. Yeah, I'll, okay. I'll be on standby. <laughs> yeah, you better be. Um, dude, let's have a chat some other time, not in the not too let's distant future, because I would like I to show you, you I'd like to show you Coleman's wake. I love you too, brother, and I, I always will. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. I brother, peace. So that was my ramble chat with Isaiah Johnson. Like I said, I hemmed and hawed, as my mum would say, about whether or not to do this, just because I think I certainly feel a lot of the time like I'm not the person to do certain things. I'm not the person to have political chats. I'm not the person to uh, have chats about race. And yes, I'm not the person to have chats about those things on Newsnight. And my fear was that I happily have them in my house. I'll happily have them amongst my friends. I'll be very vocal over a cup of coffee, but that I don't want these conversations go on public and so I am nervous but in stuff like this I'd always because you feel like people are going to judge me and they're going to say like oh he's fucking stupid or he doesn't get it or you know people say some things you know I'm sure if stuff Isaiah and I said there people will be like that doesn't sound right and if you're still here at the end of this thanks for listening um, I hope there's been something in there of connection of hope of whatever um, but like I said Today something changed for me and I thought, right, it's time to have these chats to, through a process of being uncomfortable talking about things and feeling ignorant in relation to certain parts of our shared history, become better at it, become more adept, more informed and more activated to to make change happen and that sounds extremely easy and trite and fuck just do what I did today go and find some stuff I'm sure you do already and find out some more and then tomorrow find out some more and then tomorrow I'll find out some more and I'll just keep on doing that but I'm going to start by 
challenging my family, my loved ones, and my friends who say things I don't agree with um, more frequently. And I think that's a really good place to start. Thanks for listening. There's a full episode out as well. I can't say how that is because it's Tuesday night. The episode comes out on Friday and I haven't recorded it yet, but it will be a great one. Trust me. Thanks for listening. Speak to you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.